What up, y'all? It's Jesse here, aka Jesse Prada, and you are listening to the Christ Convo podcast, where we inspire you to live the best way you can for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope this episode blesses you. Let's get into it, y'all. All right, what up, y'all? We are here to talk about, you know, the title. We are talking about the office and the position of the prophet in the body of Christ. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because, first off, I want to introduce a guest that is on my podcast. He is no stranger to my podcast. And honestly, if you follow me and you know me on Instagram or in any way, shape, or form, he's no stranger to you at all because if you know me, you're going to know him or know of him. Right. So this is my apostle my prophet, and my spiritual father. His name is Jordan Bryce. And I just wanted to introduce him. Say hello to the people, sir. Hey, people. How are you? There's a plane flying over us, shaking the house right now. Literally. But I'm happy to be here. We're in Puerto Rico right now also, by the way. So that's why um, it may sound different than my default setup. But it's okay. We're going to be innovative and still get through it. So we're talking about the office of a prophet. And um, I wanted to invite him on the podcast because he is a notable prophet in the body of Christ. There is uh, extreme and overwhelming fruit that follows his life that proves that God has ordained him in this office. And I really just want to talk about it because I feel like there's a lot of people who may have questions, a lot of people who are confused specifically about what the office of a prophet entails. So I just really want to discuss that with you. Is there anything that you wanted to say or should I just ask you questions first? I would say just get the pop, get the questions popping and we can, we can rant and and inspire some prophet somewhere to be a prophet. My God. Okay. So the first question that I have is, why is the prophet important? Um, the prophet is important is be- because God's response to separation from man was to put a prophet on the earth. Um, and so prophets have been here um, a little after. Prophets have been here as long as a little after sin came into the planet. So we see um, sin coming into the planet by way of Adam and Eve, disobeying God and eating the, uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then all of a sudden, uh, Eve is impregnated with Cain, who the Bible tells us is the seed of the devil. And then we see Eve impregnated with Abel, um, who the Bible says by way of Jesus was a prophet. So God's response to mankind drawing away from him was to put a... Uh, mouthpiece that could speak and do things on his behalf on the earth so as long as sin is in the planet we need prophets in the planet uh uh-huh. so what is the role or the responsibility of a prophet what does a prophet do um and in an old testament and new testament uh sense it's to represent god his nature and his character by way of uh, speaking his word or by even doing particular acts that represent who he is. It is the prophet's job to make sure that creation and the church and whomever they are called to has the right view of who God is. So a prophet, would you say a responsibility of a prophet is to pull the church into God's world? Absolutely. It's really to introduce mankind and creation to God's world because we're in a fallen world. We've been in a fallen world ever since, like I said, uh, sin came into the planet. So it's the prophet's job to introduce uh, creation to God's world, whether it be by way of speaking the word of the Lord or bringing people into a supernatural encounter. Mm -hmm. So there are different kinds of prophets. Mm -hmm. What are they? 
Um, well, if we're looking at, I would say, Second uh, or First Chronicles 29, uh, 29, I believe, mm-hmm. the Bible talks about there, um, three different kind of prophets that were mentioned that all work with David. Now, the very interesting thing is these are not the only three types of prophets because David was mentioned in the book of Acts as a prophet as well. Yeah. So really, we see four prophets um, in the book of Chronicles. We see Gad, we see Nathan, we see obviously David, and then we see Samuel. And so uh, uh, Samuel was the founder of the school of the prophets, and he was very apostolic in his nature as well, which we'll leave for another podcast, possibly. Um, I'm talking about apostolic prophets. I just named the new podcast, guys. My God. But um, we um, we have Samuel, who's initiated the educational system for prophets, and we can see there are prophets who God literally births just to train other prophets. Mm. Um, also, the Bible says that Samuel was a seer. Now, this particular Hebrew word for seer, um, I believe, is the Hebrew word um, rohe um, or ra or, or of some sort, and it simply means to perceive or to see by the mind's eye. So that's more so speaking to the functionality of Samuel. Most of the time, when Samuel would, would prophesy, he would see by way of his mind's eye, and that's actually how a majority of the body of Christ when we're prophesying whether you're a prophet or not when you're seeing you're seeing by your mind's eye you're not going into an open vision you're not um, hearing an audible voice you're seeing out of your heart or out of your mind's eye that's why the Bible says in the book of Acts that God has sanctified the heart completely so it could be the proper lens into which God would speak to you and then you have um uh, Nathan, who the Bible refers to as a Nabi prophet, that Hebrew word for prophet, there was Nabi, which means to bubble up um, and means to to spring up suddenly. Uh, so when, you know, there are certain prophets that they don't see anything, but it's almost as if they hear the word of the Lord and it, and it hits almost in a sense their belly and it bubbles up from their spirit and they begin to speak on behalf of God. Um, and then you have Gad, who was also called a seer, but the Hebrew word was not Rohe. Um, I believe it was Chose, uh, C-H-O-Z-E-H, I believe. And that particular Hebrew word simply means to see by experience. So Gad was the kind of prophet that had open-eyed visions. He would live in his encounters. He would walk into his encounters. In other words, things around Gad would disappear and then Gad would begin to say what he saw in his encounters. And so many prophets um, get caught up in only one functionality. But because we are all New Testament prophets, if you are a prophet or your New Testament believer, all of these functionalities are made available to every prophetic believer, especially prophets. So a lot of times we get stuck in one box and we say, oh God, um, I, or, or we say to people, oh, I'm only a seer, but because I have the Holy Ghost in filling me, I have access to every supernatural faculty the Holy Spirit has available. So we see that there's many different uh, kinds of prophets, or mm-hmm. at least the ones that you named. So you would say all of these are still active today. Absolutely. And especially the office. So what would be, because we know that the church is shunning the prophet. Mm-hmm. And so um, what scriptural evidence or evidence at all do you have or do you know um, that proves that prophets are still active today? Well, firstly, um, what scripture do I have? I have plenty of scripture for that. Yeah. Um, firstly, the Jesus, um, I can't really recall the scripture, but you can look it up. The Bible tells us that Jesus looks at the disciples and says, since the days of the prophets, going all the way back to Abel. And so uh, Jesus never told us that the age of the prophets ended. Mm-hmm. The, actually, the only te- way we can really say, say that the prophets have ended was with John the Baptist, but that was the conclusion of one dispensation um, going into another. 
Now, the scriptural, a scriptural reference, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that there was a prophet by the name of Agabus. There was another prophet by the name of Judas, um, not Iscariot. Um, he was um, not Judas who betrayed Jesus, but another Judas. Then we have um, the Bible talked us about um, Agabus, Judas, and Silas, who was who all three were mentioned as prophets in the New Testament. So once Christ had already shed his blood, once the new covenant was initiated with Christ and Christianity began, we still see the activity of prophets and their working with apostles. Now, the Bible also tells us that God set in the church, firstly, I believe in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that God set firstly in the church apostles, secondarily prophets. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and 11, that he, 4, uh, 10 to 12, it says, he who ascended first had to descend into the lower parts of the earth and lead captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men, and he gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. So um, my question is, if all of these, all of this information about prophets existing, working, was in the New Testament, when did God stop making them? Mm-hmm. Because there's no scriptural evidence in all of the New Testament that says Agabus was the last prophet. Judas was the last prophet. Uh, um, Silas was one of the last prophets. But there's, but there's nothing but a sign that the ministry of these men have changed. It's just that they are no longer advocates of the law. They're advocates of the dispensation of grace and Christ and his kingdom. What do you think caused, if there's overwhelming scriptural evidence that shows that prophets are still currently existing to this day, what do you think has caused the church... It's a rare occasion to see a prophet in a church mm-hmm. in any shape or form, whether if they're a senior leader or whether if they come in to preach or even if they're acknowledged by their office, whether if they're just a regular guest or anything like that. Sometimes they may call them pastor or minister, but we know good and well that they're a prophet. Mm-hmm. So what what do you think is causing or has caused the church to shy away from being a friend to the prophet? Well, I think I think this I think since prophets have been on the earth, um, they have been under persecution Um, because the further that man draws away from God, the further that mankind will draw away from his mouthpieces. Mm. Um, And so this is what Jesus talked about persecution. He said, your fathers to the Jews, your fathers persecuted the prophets. And we see persecution began as soon as a prophet came into the earth. Agabus came. I mean, I'm sorry. Abel came into the earth. What does Cain do? He kills Abel um, out of jealousy. So persecution Mm. began against prophets ever since the beginning of time. The first murder. The first murder was against the prophet. Wow. And this is why why Jesus, um, uh, he talks about, the scripture about the blood of Jesus is speaking a better thing than the blood of Abel. So it's actually one of the reasons why creation began to draw further from God is because creation killed her first God representative. Wow. God's first ambassador was murdered on the earth. And his blood being murdered, innocent blood caused creation to be corrupted even the more and to draw further from God. And so understand with a prophet, oh God, I'm getting started now. Um, with a prophet, everything about us speaks and testifies and prophesies down to our very DNA. So what happened when, when Cain killed Abel, the Bible tells us that God says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Abel never prophesied, but his blood did. 
Wow. His blood prophesied of the coming of Christ. Abel never prophesied in scripture, but his act did. Why? Because Cain brought fruit and vegetables to God, but Abel brought lambs. He brought meat. He, his act was prophesying of the coming of the cross, the coming of a spotless lamb to come redeem creation from their sin. So his acts prophesied, not his words. Wow. And so it's so interesting. So, so the prophet is a representative of God. He's an ambassador or she is an ambassador of God. And so creation hates that because creation becomes more and more corrupt. Mm -hmm. So anything that looks like God, creation is going to shun and reject. Okay. So you said he and she. So you do believe in women prophets for Absolutely. today. Absolutely. Women prophets are all throughout the Bible. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe in women prophets, you don't read the Bible. Uh -huh. Because, I mean, I'm, to name a few, the Bible says, I, let me give the, one of the weirdest ones. The Bible says that Isaiah referenced his wife as a prophet. Really? Yes. Yeah, so Isaiah was not just a prophet. He worked with his wife, who was a prophet. People don't know, don't know that. Isaiah is a very kind of a, kind of a little bit vulgar scripture, but Isaiah is referencing a time that he had sex with his wife. He said, I went into the prophetess. Wow. And so he was referencing his, his wife, wife as a prophet. Yeah. Then we have Josiah, who comes into power as a nine-year-old, a seven, I mean, again, as a nine-year-old in the kingdom. And the Bible says he, he was inquiring of God through the scrolls, and he sent for a woman named Hulda, who was named as a prophetess. Yeah. Prophet, female prophets are so prominent in the scripture that there is a separate Hebrew word for female prophets. It's um, a derivative. I, I don't know the exact word, but it's a derivative of the word Nabi. Yeah. So there's a, a feminine word for Nabi. If God created a feminine word for Nabi, you know that's a prophetess. We look at Deborah in the book of Judges. Yeah. We all know about Deborah in the book of Judges. Yeah. We look at, obviously, Hulda. Um, the Bible tells us, actually, uh, that Philip had, had four daughters that prophesied. But if you actually look in church history, you will find out that Philip's, the evangelist's oldest daughter, was named as a prophet. Wow. And Miriam as well. Right? And Miriam yeah. um, in the scripture, who was the sister. There you go. I, I taught you well. The <laughs> sister, the sister of Moses was a prophet yeah. who sung songs. Yeah. So, yeah. So how can you tell the difference between a, because people proclaim that they're prophets all the right. time. How can you distinguish between the real and the fake? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I would say you have. Um, really three categories and then within those categories there are categories right mm -hmm. but you have three categories you have um, you have those who are bona fide actually called to be prophets God called them it's who they are they have the, the, the visitations and encounters and whatever have you to affirm it then you have prophetic believers mistaking themselves as prophets yeah and then you have um, straight up false prophets yeah and so um I would say those three areas, and I'll tell you this, all three of them can give accurate information, and all three of them can miss the information as well. Mm. And so we cannot judge it by what prophecies you get right. That's not how I determine if a man is a prophet, because yeah. Samuel, one of the baddest prophets in the scripture, missed it. Yeah. Bible says that he went to go find the king of Israel yep. and Jesse's house, Jesse, and <laughs> and he goes and he uh, he finds uh, all these strapping young men who are David's older brothers. It says, surely to the extent where he takes the horn and he tries to pour the oil, but the oil did not flow. People don't understand that was a supernatural occurrence. He tried to pour the oil, but the oil didn't move. Yeah. And so here, here's 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 a here's a little revelatory word for those of you who really want to understand how you recognize a prophet. No matter what happens, no matter who affirms you, you identify them by the anointing. 
because the oil will not flow upon a man who's not chosen. Yeah. So Samuel, he identifies um, all these men. He says, surely this is the Lord, Lord's anointed. Surely this is the prophet or the, or the king of Israel. And the oil doesn't flow. He missed it. People say, oh, Samuel just no, he heard correctly, but he was moving by his own judgment. So prophets can miss it. Yeah. Um, prophetic believers can miss it. Yeah. And false prophets are going to miss it. Right. Yeah. Um, but also um, all three of them can be accurate because I've seen uh, people who were prophetic believers be more precise than prophets because their gift was sharper. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the per, the precision of your gift. It's about the spirit of what you carry. Yeah. Um, and so, like I said, the burden of a prophet, whenever I talk to someone who calls me, who calls himself a prophet, I'm going to ask them, what stirs you up? What is your burden? What would you rather be doing? Would you rather be in the presence of God or whether you had to be teaching? What a prophet, they have a natural inclination towards the presence of God. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah, who, who, which one of these prophets have stood in my council? Prophets love standing or being in the council of God. It's their bread and butter. Is what we? It's our the technology of who we are. Our wiring was was made to only function as a result of of being in the presence of God. Mm -hmm. That's why I know a prophet has not been in the presence of God. If I know they're a legit prophet and they're getting kind of off, I'm like, you haven't been in the council of God, have you? You've been getting lazy with prayer because you have you you, you you're saying old things. You're saying things that God said a long time ago, and you're repeating them as if it's the word of the Lord for here and now. Yeah. yeah. And so a prophet, their bread and butter is going to be the, the presence of God. Not only that, they're going to hate when God is misrepresented. Yeah. So like when, when like for me, when I come into society and I see people, God is angry, God is this and God is that, something in me wants to go slam off. Why? Because my job is to make sure God is effectively represented. And if I see him misrepresented, that's when I step in as a prophet and make sure that I let this, I educate this world of his world. Yeah. Go ahead. I was thinking of the scripture how you um, that talks about God will not do anything unless He reveals it to unto Suet service the prophets. Yeah. And you were talking about how sometimes you can spot a, a false prophet or even just a rusty prophet when they keep saying the old thing. Yeah. And so I was thinking about how that scripture kind of reminds me of how prophets, when they're on their craft and when they're in position, they're able to detect the update that God is trying to bring Absolutely. to the earth before other people do, which yeah. is why it says he reveals it to his service, the prophets first before anyone else. Right. So, but what I love oh, what yeah. the scripture says mm -hmm. is he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Yeah. You can have the prophet's gift and not be a servant. Yeah. So in other words, a lot of people, they're not in active service. Therefore, they're not getting the update. Mm. So what would service as a prophet look like? Service looks like standing in the presence of God, having a prayer life. Be, listen, prophesying, and I've always taught you guys this, mm -hmm. is only one third of the prophet's responsibility. Yeah. Only one third of the prophet's job description. Yeah. And so I do more prayer than I do prophesying. Yeah. I do more worshiping than I do prophesying. Very much I so. do more studying of God's word yeah. because how are you going to know what he's saying if you don't know what he said? Yeah. I do more studying of his word than I do prophesying. And what happens is we have such a, this generation is very demonstrative in its nature. Mm -hmm. And so we idolize demonstration over preparation. Yeah. And there's a preparation that I have to walk through before I fully walk through demonstration. Mm, Jesus. So what is, um, you know, this is my bread and butter. Right yeah. Now. Yeah. What is, what is, what is an accurate prophecy? Or how do we discern the gift of prophecy? Because we know this, that plenty of people, they don't know how to pick apart 
prophecy versus word of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So if I go up to somebody and say, hey, your name is Anna and you were molested at five years old. Yeah, or, that's not a prophecy. I see, exactly, right? Um, so what is the difference between a download of information but the gift of prophecy? So this is why I always talk about the gift of prophecy. And actually, if you go to my YouTube, I actually uh, talked recently about the, the spirit of prophecy. My God. Um, if you would just go to Prophet Jordan Rice on YouTube, but you have to be a member because it's, it's exclusive content. Shameless plug. <laughs> so, um, but a prophecy is different. So the, the gift of prophecy is so interesting because it can contain multiple gifts inside of it. Mm. So what is the word of knowledge? The word of knowledge is supernatural information obtained about the point of the past up to the point of the present. Yeah, It's about a, about a person, place, or thing. So a word of knowledge from me sitting in the chair that I'm sitting in right now and say, mm, someone died in this chair. That's a word of knowledge. Yeah, You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Or I look at you and say, your name is Jesse. True information about the point of the past to the present. Or when you were eight, you fell down the stairs. Yeah. That's like... Information from the past. That's a word of knowledge. Yeah. The discerning of spirits, obviously, is a revelatory gift. It's me identifying the activity or, or differentiating the difference between the activity of your soul, a demon, an angel, or the Holy Spirit, or any of those things. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. a discerning of spirits. Yeah. Um, the uh, word of wisdom is God's counsel and supernatural wisdom mm -hmm. concerning a thing. Prophecy has two, two to three manifestations. It can be just God's thoughts on a matter, the God's thoughts on a matter, or it can be... Um, Simply uh, God telling the future. Yeah. Or it can be all the gifts that I just mentioned wrapped up in one with the future involved. So we look at that. Isaiah was writing prophecies, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and it looks as if God was on a rant. So what, did he, what does he say? He addresses the past to the present. He says, he says, um, I found you when you were polluted in your mother's blood. Yeah. What is that? The past. past yeah. That's the manifestation of the word of knowledge. Yeah. So they're prophesying, I found you polluted in your mother's blood. That's the past. Now, this is all one long prophecy. Yeah. Then he says, because you have done this, I will cause you to be in captivity to these people. Yeah. So what is that? That's a prophecy of the future. Mm -hmm. Then he goes into another place where he says, you have been given over to an idolatrous spirit. Yeah. So then that's the discerning of spirits. Yeah. All moving. Those are three different gifts moving at the same time with one prophetic word. So it's the gift of prophecy moving, but there are several gifts in that gift moving at one time. Yeah. And so when it comes to the gifts of the spirit, we get really rigid, but we understand the gifts of the spirit really are the grace of the spirit, charisma. Yeah. So in other words, grace is more fluid than it is when we say gift. If I gave you this blue Yeti mic that you love so much My God. as a gift, you would see it only as that. But if I said I give you some water, you would know I can increase that water and decrease the measure of that water. Why? Because it's grace. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Grace is more fluid than gift. And I really think gift is a mistranslation of the thing. Yeah. Makes sense? Makes sense. Um, so I'm thinking of this scripture in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6, and it says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. Mm -hmm. So does this mean that every prophet is going to have very, very frequent dreams and visions? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, now, here's the thing. Prophets are um, taught, caught up in the revelatory realm of God. So they are always getting access to information and revelation, right? But um, I believe that when th that scripture in Numbers, I believe it's Moses uh, talking about that. Um, I believe that's speaking of an initiating encounter. So a man doesn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I want to be a prophet. And that's why the prophetic is so messed up in America right now. Because we have so many people who just woken up and said, mm, I'm tired of being an evangelist. I'm be a prophet. <laughs> yeah. um, many, many 
people yeah. who are really called my, to be evangelists. My God. But, um, <laughs> but the, 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 the difference is the prophetic call, you can attest to this, it almost in a sense interrupts your life by a supernatural encounter. <laughs> yep. I can recall when you came to me and said you had that dream where you woke up and the Lord spoke to you and told you who you were. Yeah. Um, it interrupts your life and God initiates it through a dream, a vision, or some kind of supernatural encounter. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they're always going to be an encounter. But listen, your hunger can stir up encounters as well. You know, if people think because I'm a prophet that everything that happens in my life is sovereign. No, I still can provoke God to encounter me in some ways that should perform too. Yeah. How do you provoke him? The way the saints taught us, prayer, fasting, yeah. worship, extended time in the presence of God, and you can be brought into an encounter. Mm-hmm. Now, also, because I, I understand that I'm a prophet, but I understand I'm a son first. Yeah. And so because I understand I'm a son, I can be brought into encounters as a son. And because God, because I'm there, oh, because you're here, son, you know, let's get this work kind of done. For an example, I want you to imagine if you're a prophet in the, in the New Testament, imagine you're a son who went into business with your dad. Mm-hmm. So the appropriate thing to be is if I went to my father's house for a moment, though I work, I'm in business with him. I'm also his son. So I came to his house to see him and to hang out and to fellowship with my father. But also because I'm there. Oh, by the way, can you get this, this, this and this done? Yeah. So I'm doing it first out of relationship. But because I'm here, God's also going to begin to give me information. And also, here's our family business. Go get these work, these th- these tasks done. That makes sense. Because I do it out of sonship first. Yeah. He addresses your relationship to him as a son, mm-hmm. but then speaks to the role of a prophet. Yes. Or whatever role you have concerning his kingdom. Mm-hmm. Many of my, my craziest, most accurate or wild international national prophetic words, uh-huh. I didn't get them because I was seeking God for a word. Yeah. I got them from just saying, this is my daily devotion. Going into the person, I love you, Lord. I didn't come here to hear anything. I came to let you know how I feel about you and, and this is what I want to do with you. Yeah. And then out of something, like, we have our little moment of worship and all of a sudden, boom, this nation's going to do that. Boom, this guy's going to die. Boom. Like, it's like, he's like, okay, let's have a relationship, then get work done. Yeah. And the problem with most prophets right now, we've not been taught relationship. So we do profit first and then try to find our validation in relationship through the prophet's call. Yeah. And that's backwards from the New Testament. Yeah. Does every prophet need to see Jesus? No. No, absolutely not. Um, there's no record of Agabus seeing Jesus. Mm-hmm. No record of Silas seeing Jesus. Um, I believe every prophet should have some kind of encounter. Not necessarily even angelic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've seen angels and I've seen Jesus. Yeah. But not every prophet has any of that. Some prophets just have a strong dream of them prophesying. And that's like the call to being a prophet. Yeah. And they're just brought into that space gradually. And there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Don't think because you didn't have a dramatic encounter that you're any less called. Mm-hmm. Because God has called God gave you the encounter catered to what you needed to do what you gotta do. Okay. So not every prophet is required to see Jesus. No. Can every prophet see Jesus? Yes. So ev- it's made available. It's made available. There are places you can press into mm-hmm. by seeking the face of God. Now, I people say, uh, Prophet Jordan, I want to see Jesus. I'll tell them, you know what? You know when I saw Jesus? I saw Jesus when I was hungry. Mm. During the hungriest. So my question is, how hungry are you? Yeah. And the question is, how easily satisfied are you? So if you go in the presence of God and you get the, all the presence of God come upon you and you have this shaking session on the floor, and if that satisfies you, that's all you need. But if you say, I'm, I'm still going to seek God, I'm going to stay on this fast until I'm an encounter. So the question is, how, how, how hungry are you to yeah. meet him? Yeah. You mentioned earlier the school of the prophets. Mm-hmm. So I have two questions concerning this. First mm-hmm. things first is, 
Do you feel like every prophet needs to go to some form of school or some form of training? I believe that every prophet should be connected to an apostle somewhere okay. or to something apostolic. Okay. Um, and I think uh, training and education in the prophet's office looks different for every person. Mm-hmm. For an example, not every prophet in the scripture went to the school of prophets. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel never went to the school of prophets, but he went through a system of training. Yeah. People don't understand. He, Ezekiel was the priest. Priest, yeah. So in other words, he went through priestly. In other words, you can't just be a priest because you're a son of one. You got to go through the education system to become a priest. Yeah. So Ezekiel was made aware, was taught the ways of God, taught how to inquire of God through the year and the theorem. That's one of the one of the jobs of the priest. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel was brought through a type of training to be a priest. So school of prophets, whether it's named that or not, no. But there is a system of training that God has for you. Yeah. Whether it's just because, you know, Jesse, Jesse was around me before I even... Uh, for those who don't know, Jesse is called to be a prophet um, if he's not mentioned it on his podcast before. So I'm just putting it out there. And, so, uh, and Jesse will be commissioned as one very soon, actually, from oh here. Gosh. And so, <laughs> so um, but the thing that I, that, that I love, Jesse came into being a spiritual son of mine before I had a school. But he immediately came into training. Yeah. Why? Because really, if there is no Antioch School of Prophets, that, the school that I founded, there still is training because I know some stuff and I can teach you in that. Very much so. And so sometimes your school, the prophets, is your spiritual father, your mentor, whomever. Um, me personally, I never went to a school of prophets, though I founded one. I just went to the school of prayer with my grandmother. Yeah. What does that look like? Praying with grandma every day. Yeah. And through praying with grandma, I learned the you voice learned. of God. That's good. Yeah. So the Holy Spirit is the one who is the teacher. John, the Bible says that you have no need of any man to teach you anything. Yeah. But the spirit, but the spirit of God will teach you will all teach things. you all things. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that explanation. I feel like not even just with being a prophet. And actually, this is going to be my next question. But not just with being a prophet, but being a minister, being a preacher yes. in the church. There's a notion that you have to go to seminary. Mm-hmm. And listen, I'm not knocking seminary. Like if you want to do that, you know, go to seminary. I think some people need to go to seminary because their theology sucks so bad. Yeah, but. For you, you didn't go to seminary. No, I went to a few school classes though on the side with my spiritual father, who is a seminarian, yeah. who ran a seminary, but I'd never went to an official seminary. So my question is for because you are a leader of a church that is growing vastly. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people in the church world would look at you as disqualified and unequipped to lead because it's like where's your education? And even though you have the Holy Spirit and you get taught Peace, that's not enough for people. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people aren't satisfied with that. They feel like you need to go through a man-made system of some sort to prove that you have the at you have the adequacy to right. be a leader. So what would you say in regards to that, in regards to your defense of being put in this position by the Lord? Jesus chose the most uneducated men at first. Mm. And he taught him taught them himself. And the Holy Spirit said, and he said, the Holy Spirit will bring these things back to your remembrance. Yeah. Um, now, like, I'm not knocking studying your craft. Yeah. I believe before I make anyone a preacher, they should be theologically astute, right? Yeah. They should be able to articulate the gospel. Really, all Christians should be able to articulate the gospel, right? Yeah. You should be able to re- know the scriptures, you know? Yeah. But to become a preacher or to teacher would to say that you studied. Uh, Paul said it to me, study to show yourself approved. 
He didn't say, join my my seminary or join yeah. my school. He said, Timothy, you study. Yeah. You get you are in charge. I've got excited. Yeah. You are in charge of your own development. That's Timothy. good. Yeah. All I my responsibility is to lay hands, to give you some advice and counsel every now and then, teach you a few things, kind of get you started. But you study to show yourself approved. Not jump join my Zoom class. Yeah. And so that's not the requirement, while it can be necessary for some. Yeah, I think um, even what you're saying, I'm thinking of the fact that like seminary does not equate to a good study life. No, you're just going through a system to where you have to get good grades in order to pass and you have to receive your degree, which isn't bad. And question, are you retaining what you're learning? Yeah. Like, are you studying it? Because for me, I look at it as when I <laughs> there were times in college I was just studying to get, to get by. Right. I was just trying to pass the information to get by because it was strenuous and it was difficult and I'm done. But at the glory same time, glory to God. But <laughs> I will say that when it comes to the Bible or studying the Bible, it's so much different because there's a person behind it, which is Jesus, our Lord, which mm-hmm. is somebody who we love and care about. It's not the same as studying the engineering world or studying, right. you know, medical field. the medical field. Now, don't get me wrong. Like God can, God can work through that. And Absolutely. the spirit of God can manifest through those things. But like when you're studying God or when you're studying the word, it's literally an extension of the relationship that you have with him. Absolutely. And who better to teach you about what he has inspired than the person who inspired himself. My God. So then that speaks to why is it that... Sometimes I wonder if people are using seminary as a crutch. Some people are using seminary as a crutch. Now, mind you, one thing I've taught Jesse, I've taught any of my spiritual children, and I've taught anybody who's trained by me in any kind of ministerial capacity, I taught them what my resources are. Like, I will quote Blue Letter Bible in a heartbeat. Oh, yeah, I use I, it all the time. I, I, like, listen, I've got, I said, download the app. I say, you can't be close to me and not have Blue Letter Bible in yeah. your home. Because I'm like, this is how this is one of my main sources to study. Yeah. And so I tell people, I said, there are great resources out there. Yeah. And sometimes, yes, there's nothing wrong with watching a YouTube video or two yeah. to get the context of something if you don't have access to information. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with looking at sources outside of the Bible to understand the Bible. Yeah. That's actually very important, yeah. if you will. Because we weren't around when it was written. Yeah. But if you can get the context or the heart of what was going on while it was written, yeah. then it will bring you into greater revelation. I wholeheartedly believe prophets should yeah. be studied. I think one of the reasons why we have such jacked up prophetic ministry now is because we have unstudied prophets. Yeah. But here's the thing. You don't have to go to school for it. Yeah. If, but here's the thing. If you really want it, the Holy Spirit will teach you yeah. if you try to study. Yeah. I think that's my issue is when people try to put a lock or a box on how it's supposed to manifest in the life of Absolutely. people because I look at and listen I don't mean to toot his horn y'all but like when I say this man knows the Lord like he he hasn't gone to seminary but when I've sat under his teaching and when I've listened to the way that he speaks about the Lord and the things that God has shown him he's much more revelatory than a lot of preachers that I've heard with doctorates and PhDs because and I'm not saying it doesn't matter but I'm realizing as well as you as you were even talking about when God really approves of somebody the anointing will flow the yeah. oil will drip and so one thing that you will see consistently is when you actually see God move through a man or move through a woman it has nothing to do with whether if they have that degree paper or if it if they've gone through the process of school it matters if the anointing will flow mm-hmm. and that's i think that's really what um could cause a lot of people to honestly be deceived as well when it comes to receiving ministry like discerning the anointing and you and i we've spoken about this but i feel like a lot of people would be able to 
receive more fruitful ministry and even be pushed further in their purpose yeah. if they were just trained to discern the anointing. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any more questions. When it, oh, does every prophet need a spiritual parent? Hmm. I think we really need to revisit the purpose of spiritual parents in the body of Christ. Okay. Um, because let's talk about this. Does every believer need a spiritual parent first? And the answer is no. Yeah. Um, spiritual parents, from a biblical understanding, were those who were brought into ministry by the elder one or the one who's been serving the Lord longer mm -hmm. or who's more experienced with God um, in the ministry, and they birthed them out in the call of God ministry. So if you're like not interested in being a part of the fivefold, which listen, even if you are and you're not called to it, don't do it. But like yeah. if, you, if you're not called to be an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, or you don't have a preaching or teaching or some kind of church leadership assignment on your life, then I really don't see the purpose of spiritual parents. Yeah. To you. Now, mind you, listen, if you want to, if you want a, a fake God daddy or a God mommy, because <laughs> there are people who, you know, go to my church who want to call me pops and I'll let them, but I'm not birthing you into destiny. I'm just yeah. pastoring you. Yeah. And then there are other people who call me pops, like, like, like a Jesse who it's deep as yeah. in, I mean, I'm, I'm pu actively pushing you into purpose and assignment and call and training and developing you, yeah. you know? And so, um, does every prophet, I would say every prophet will benefit vastly from the right and the correct spiritual parent, the right and the correct spiritual parent. How do, if, if somebody's listening to this and they are a prophet, how do they go about finding? Well, I would person? say you need to be trained by someone or pushed out by someone who is walking or greater than what you're walking in so they can know how to recognize it. Mm -hmm. So for me, an example, my, um, and like I said, I believe you can have more than one spiritual parent, but I don't believe you can have 20. Yeah. If that makes sense. <laughs> and also I do believe that, um, really you can have a spiritual parent towards each office you might walk in, but one spiritual parent should be your covering in the sense mm. where they make the decisions spiritually. They're given charge over your soul. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. And for an example, I have a spiritual daughter. She has a spiritual mother who I'm very close to. who's like a sister to me. Yeah. Um, and she's an apostle. And really, she really, really helps her emotionally and deals with the whole feminine side of her call and assignment yeah. and stuff like that. And I have my own assignment. I can use myself as a better example. My grandmother birthed me as a prophet. Yeah. My grandmother taught me prayer and taught me how to walk into the prophetic and, and, and hearing the voice of the Lord. Not through any official training, but just by watching her and being exposed to her environments. Yeah. And so she birthed me as a prophet. By the time I made it to Apostle Ryan, I was already a prophet. A yeah. bona fide, a usable one. As in, he could call on me any given moment and I could be a prophet. Yeah. Now, like you said earlier, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm coming into the apostolic. And, and But Apostle Ryan, he's birthing me into the apostolic. Yeah. So those, those are two. Yes, my assignments will work in tandem, work together. But there's those are two really different assignments that God uses or used or is using two different people to bring out. Mm. Would you say that when it comes to the prophet's office, that there is a set time or a set amount, yeah, a set time for people to get commissioned when they find out that they're called to be one. 
I would say every person is different. Mm-hmm. And I would say based upon your education, your training. Like for an example, um, I'm not going to say the amount of years that I have to commission profits, but I take profits through what I would say is a certain a certain amount of years of training. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, if you've exhibited good character and you've exhibited, because here's the thing, heaven and heaven has already affirmed you. You can move at will. Yeah. You can like like Jesse. He's not commissioned profit, but I guarantee you if. He disconnected from me and with the flow, he could do the stuff. You know, there's a lack of authority there because I'm yeah. not there, but there, he could do all the stuff that prophets are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Praying, interceding, moving things in the spirit, uh, prophesying, discerning, all, all, all the things that pro- uh, representing God's world. He could do it and he would grow a little bit, right? Yeah. But um, going back to what you said as it relates to... Um, what was the question? The length of time. Yeah, the length of time. Yeah. So um, I have a program that I've created with the Lord. Yeah. And if you do it right, you can be ready. Yeah. But other people, um, they're going to make you wait five to ten years and stuff like that. And that's their process. Yeah. Other times, the people will feel like they're ready and the Holy Spirit will say, no, they need more time. And we'll just wait on the Holy Spirit to say, we're ready to affirm you. Now, we use these cliche words, commission, ordain, um, affirm. Really, it's all the same thing. Yeah. It's just a group of men who are your superior, or women, or a man or woman who says, I'm your superior, and I affirm by laying my right hand on you that you are ready for service. Yeah. So with that, um, I will not go into any names of specific people, but <laughs> there are prophets that are not under any authority that are operating right now in the Absolutely. body of Christ. What are your thoughts on that? Out of order. Yeah. Here's the thing. Anyone who's not connected to something apostolic, really you're out of order mm. because God first, in, first set in the church apostles. Yeah. So if you listen, you don't have to be directly the spiritual child of an apostle, but like, listen, if you're under a church, that church should have a governing apostle somewhere, even if they're not in that church. Yeah. Even if you don't call them apostle, there should be some kind of governing apostolic entity that's overseeing that church. Anything that disconnects from the apostolic, according to New Testament scripture, really is out of order. Yeah. And this is, we see this all the time, like the the office of a pastor is just running rampant. And honestly, for me, and I'm pretty sure you know this as well, like we look at these guys and we're like, y'all are apostles. Yeah. Y'all just have the name of it or you or the people that the church rejects apostles as well. Yeah. Because the world rejects governing authority right now. Yeah. And apostles are governing authority. Yeah. Yeah. It causes a lot of I think it causes a lot of confusion as well. And I think even when it comes to the fact how we always talk about the prophetic and the apostolic like coming together Mm -hmm. and how they're the foundation of the church, which is scriptural. And how they bring direction. So it makes sense as to why, because a lot of the church is rejecting those two offices, that there's a lot of confusion, that there's a lack of direction because God ordained these offices, the office of a prophet and the office of an apostle to give direction and language to the church. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we are at 42 minutes. Is there anything else that you have to say lastly before we wrap this up? Uh, to every prophet that could be listening or you think you're a prophet, the best advice I could give you is pray, 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 pray. Mm. Stay, pray in the Holy Ghost, which means pray in tongues in this case. Pray in English. Uh, listen, pray your scripture. Worship. Stay in the presence of God. You're, the, the, you, 
the more time you spend in the presence of God, the greater of a prophet you can be. Yeah. Also, I would add to that, just look at teaching from notable prophets. Like that, for me, that's something that helped at least before I came to this church. Um, Because for me, I literally woke up in my bedroom and I found that I was called to be a prophet and I wasn't under a ministry that practiced um, the operation of prophets. So it was definitely frustrating and I was just trying to figure out what in the world was I supposed to do. So try to find prophets that you believe to be pure, ask the Lord to guide you, um, because a lot of them are corrupt. But uh, (laughs) we bless God for the ones that are living. (laughs) We bless God for the ones that are living for Jesus. Amen. So that concludes this episode. I hope you guys were blessed and educated on what the office of the prophet is and how it is necessary for today. Peace out. I will see y'all in the next episode. What up, y'all? I want to say thank you to everyone for listening to another episode of the Christ Convo podcast. If you don't follow me on Instagram, follow me at Jesse Prada, J-E-S-S-E-P-R-O-D-A. Thank you for listening. I hope you received something and stay tuned for the next. See y'all soon.